Well, we've been going through uh, through First Corinthians, and um, last week we did prophecy in tongues. That's not controversial. So uh, anyway, <laughs> so we did that. Um, so uh, tonight, if you didn't get enough, we're going to do part two. So uh, yeah, part two of prophecy in tongues, because we didn't get all the way through the chapter. And that's the idea, is that we go through the whole chapter and learn things. Uh, the, one of the questions, why cover this material? You know, you might think, well, why go over this? Well, for number one, it's God's Word. Okay, so we want to go through this. All Scripture is profitable. I mean, it's for doctrine and different things. So this is why we go through this. It is God's Word. And so we want to go through it. Uh, one of the reasons we go through things like this is so we won't be confused. Uh, we want to make sure we know what we're doing in church. All right. Uh, another is we want to do, if we're, this is all about God, then we want to do this in a manner that's pleasing to Him. Um, and also, we want to make sure that we are not in error, because if we're in error, that leaves room for the enemy to do some things, and we don't want him to do that in our church, and so, you know, because of the things we're doing, so we don't want that either. So there's just some reasons why I think it's a good uh, reason to go through this. So last time, just going through the points of last time, uh, we looked at the fact that prophecy, and today, by the way, prophecy would be more preaching. Okay, back then, prophecy was revealing God's Word because they didn't have it all. They just had part of it. So, um, yeah, so people would actually speak, and they would give the Word of the Lord. Uh, today, this transfers over into preaching from God's Word, you know, and expounding on that. And But, uh, yeah, prophecy edifies the congregation. That's something that prophecy does. We learned that. Also, uh, looking at tongues, and this was unknown tongues. This was just speaking, and people didn't know what people were saying or anything like that. Uh, you know, they thought it was all great, but Paul's saying, no, it's not. Um, they are unintelligible. There's nothing I can, no message that I can get from that. We, we spoke about it like it was uh, Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. I mean, that's about how it would come across because we can't get anything from it. And because of that, number three makes sense. Uh, unknown tongues are unfruitful for the congregation. They don't really do anything for us. I know you can watch some video and see some places where people go crazy when somebody starts to do that. Be honestly, really, it doesn't do anything for anybody other than they're going crazy because somebody's speaking something they can't understand. But really, as far as them going away saying, I learned something or that blessed my heart because he said, well, we don't know what he said. It was wah, 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 wah. That's all we know. All right? So, and we went across this where Paul says, five words with understanding are greater than 10,000 with an unknown tongue. And since I've written some papers and stuff, I recently just, I, I went back to one that I'd written. It was like 12 pages, it was just 12 pages long. But nonetheless, I looked at the, uh, the word count because well, Microsoft Word will do that for you at the bottom, just in case your teacher says you got to have so many words. That's a good thing, feature they have there. Uh, so anyway, you can put a lot of thes and a lot of varies in there if you need to. But um, anyway, it said 4,000. And so I did some math. I'm like, oh, okay, that's 12. Then that would be to get 10,000, that would be a 30 page paper. Can you imagine a 30 page? Now, how long do you think it would take you to read a 30 page paper? Some of us read faster than others. I'm not a fast reader, some people are. But still, it's going to take you a while to read a 30 page paper. Can you imagine somebody speaking with an unknown tongue for that length of time? And Paul says, Yeah, and I can get up and speak five words with understanding, and that beats that. Do you see how low that puts this whole thing of speaking in an unknown tongue? Yeah, and I'm not just giving this my opinion. This is what Paul said, inspired by the Holy Ghost, okay? So uh, Paul's goal is not to have an experience, although a lot of people come to church, that's what they're wanting. 
Okay, <laughs> it's not supposed to be the main goal. I mean, I like it when it happens, but it's not your main goal. Uh, and also, he, he, his goal was not to be seen having experience. Instead, it was to pass on what he knew to others. The gospel and what God had told him that he could teach others, that was his point. That's what he wanted to do, okay, to edify the church, all right? So, yeah, this is what, what he was wanting to do. Now, before we go on, i got to tell you a story about what happened at the UT Alabama game. Yes, the football game this, uh, you know, this past season. What happened was... There was a guy there, and uh, the guy, there's a lot of guys there, and ladies too. But this guy, he, gave, he came and got his seat, and he sat down. He's, he's so excited. This game is going to be awesome. I mean, it's a super hyped-up game. And he looks over, and he sees another guy sitting there, and notices there's an empty seat. And he says, oh, I'm, is this seat empty? And the guy said, well, yeah, and it's going to remain empty. What? At this game, there would be an empty seat? Are you kidding me? He said, yeah, in fact, that seat belongs to me. You see, that's where my wife would have sat, but she passed away. This would be the first home game that I've watched without my wife. He said, that's sad. But couldn't you find any friends, family, even a neighbor to come and sit in the seat with you? And he said, no, they're all at the funeral. Yeah. So... You can see some people, some, I was looking to see if there are any UT fans that were not laughing and said, what, that's not a joke. But anyway, uh, but you can see at the wrong priorities, that's the way the Corinthians were. They had the wrong priorities. They were going to church to be seen, to show off to show how they were better than so-and-so. They were blessed because they could speak in tongues. Paul says that is not the deal. That is not the deal. It's about edifying the church and spreading the gospel. That's what's supposed to be happening. And so, yeah, they're kind of like that guy. So anyway, in fact, here he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Be not children in understanding things I'm talking about and the things of God, how be it in malice be children? Okay, in evil things, yeah, you can be children, all right? Be, be uneducated on that. That's all right. You don't need to be an expert on those things. But in the things of God, you should. But in understanding, be men. Be mature, in other words, okay? And that's kind of a hinge thing. Gets to the verses we're going to talk about tonight with part two of prophecy and tongues. So let me pray, and we'll get, we'll get started, and then we'll get done. Uh, thank you, God, for this night. You're awesome. Dear Lord, I pray that you have blessed uh, the preaching and teaching from your word. Help me to uh, speak accurately and to uh, uh, just bring about what you've shown me through your word. May it edify the church and be a blessing to others. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, so here is the main verse. It's actually at the end. It's this one. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's the last verse in our passage we're going through tonight. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, here's the deal that happens in churches. Um, This thing of things being done spontaneously or with a lot of order. And it seems like there's a battle in churches where they think, well, you know what? If you script your service and you plan out things, and if the pastor, for instance, plans out what he's going to do and all that type of thing, and, and say, Brian, where's Brian? Oh, he's gone, I guess. But anyway, Brian, he, you know, your, your music guy, if he has, um, 
He's thought about what he's going to... He needs to wait until the service and let the Spirit move. We need to let all of that happen in the service. No planning ahead, anything like that. Well, what's your order of service? Oh, there shouldn't be one. It should be just how God moves in the service and do it like that. And other people say, that's chaos. What are you talking about? We don't know anything like that. We stick to a script. In fact, it's so much sticking to a script that they walk through the script. I mean, they don't break from it. It has got to be that way. Okay, we got to do our two or three songs, then this and this, and that's the way our church goes. And if anything messes up, I just don't feel like I've been in church today. Okay, you've got these two different... Both are wrong. Both are wrong. What is the thinking that says that... The pastor can't go ahead and study and make out a PowerPoint for you to see days in advance, and the Spirit can't be involved in his study and preparation for his message and be with him as he's speaking at the pulpit. What kind of thinking says that? What kind of thinking says that Brian or whoever planned the the choir music and different things can't plan that ahead of time? Why can't the Spirit bless you know, in advance, why can't he? Well, I think the Bible would say that he does. And we're supposed to be diligent. We are to plan, do those things. But we're also supposed to be open to the movement of the Spirit, to be redirected as you are doing those things. So these are not mutually exclusive. These can work together. Plan out the way the services should go. Make them orderly because God is a God of order, we will find out. But also you were open to, you're not a slave to your order, you allow the Spirit to move in the services. When you feel him you know, pushing you to go to a different direction in the service, then you do it. That is the way it's supposed to work, and these don't have to be against each other. And so you kind of see this battle, and I think Paul deals a little bit with this in this chapter. So once again, uh, that last verse says, let all things be done decently, and in order. So order is going to play a big deal in what we look at tonight. First of all, order for the sake of the unbeliever. Unbeliever, Okay, the sake of the unbeliever. So far in this chapter, he's talked about the believer. Mainly how it talks about edifying the church. Unknown tongues don't really do that. Prophesying does. And so he's talked about this. Now he gets into the unbeliever, verses 20 through 25. It says, Brethren, be not children of understanding, howbeit malice be children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Now this is referring to Isaiah 28, 11 through 12, and this is where God is pronouncing judgment. He's going to bring in the Assyrians and they're going to speak a different language. They're going to be taking over the land that should belong to Israel, but... The deal is God has warned them over and over and over again. And so those speaking in different tongues, not craziness, but an actual language, is kind of what they'll see as judgment. The Jewish people will. Uh, Chuck Swindoll says, Isaiah warned unbelieving Israel that God's judgment was approaching. One sign of the coming judgment was that the foreign tongues of the Assyrians would perk up their ears. Israel would know that they had been unfaithful to God's covenant as foreigners began to tread upon the land promised to Israel. Okay, so this is what Paul is talking about. And thus, in verse 22, he says, Wherefore, that's like a therefore, because of just what I said about that whole thing, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, not for saved people to get all excited and jump up and down and say, wait, we can't understand what he's saying, but it's great. Okay, no, 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 no. The tongues 
are a sign to them, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, and mainly to unbelieving Israel. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe, okay? And so he is showing them once again, this whole idea you're putting tongues up here, you shouldn't be doing that. In fact, that's mainly a sign for the unbelievers, mainly unbelieving Israel. Once again, a sign that God is moving among Gentiles. And it's, it's not supposed to be something that, you know, ha, ha, ha. Hopefully, they will change. They'll say, oh, this is exactly what, what has been prophesied. We need to get right. And not stop assuming that just because we're God's people, that we're the only ones and we've got it made and we don't have to worry about anything. And so that's the deal with tongues in this. Next verse, he says, If therefore the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? Now this right here, verse 23, this is a hypothetical situation. <laughs> if you can imagine, if everybody, I don't know, if you guys, we did the wah-wah thing, you know, this is Charlie Brown's teacher. Uh, can you please do a seven-second conversation to each other with a wah-wahs, please? Can you just do that right now? Yeah, Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Do you, okay, that's enough, that's enough. Do you see, do you see, please, with the wah-wahs, what can you, do you see how ridiculous that is? Can you imagine an unbeliever comes in and says, oh my, this is amazing, I need to get saved? No. They're going to say, these people are crazy. I want nothing to do with this unless... Get my phone out. We're going to put this. We're going to plaster this on Facebook and everything else. All right. This is what we're going to do with this. And so that's, I mean, that's the attitude. And he says, so if you all came together and did like this, there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say you're mad, that you're crazy? They'll pretty much think that you are like the pagans that they have seen do that in Corinth. That's the deal. You're not doing a thing, accomplishing a thing with the unbeliever. Okay. But, verse 24, if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one that's unlearned, he is convinced or convicted of all. He is judged of all. As he hears the word of God and the power from the word of God, as he hears that and the truth of it, it convicts his heart. This speaks to the unbeliever. Okay, so... Preaching brings edification to the church. We learned that last week, again this week, but also conviction to the unbeliever. It does both. It edifies the church because we learn or built up, but it also, also is convicting to the unbeliever. We've obviously, you guys know, we've had people come in here unsaved and not leave that way. Once they've heard the preaching of the gospel in here, it has changed them. Okay, and so that's what preaching or prophesying does. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, And thus are the secrets of his, the unbeliever's heart, made manifest. It opens up his heart. He realizes he's a sinner. He realizes that he's wrong. He, he realizes he's realized for a while, but now he realizes it more. He needs this. Something's missing in his life. All these things because of preaching. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of truth. MacArthur says, when tongues were misused, there was only confusion, frustration, and bewilderment. Unbelievers were repelled. Believers were unedified. But prophecy 
edifies believers, evangelizes unbelievers. God is honored as men are blessed when his word is clearly declared. Our desire, and I think our pastor, he's in the meeting back there, but he would amen this. Our desire should be that every service, every activity, everything we say or do in the Lord's name will cause people to say God is certainly among you. That they notice, whoa, this isn't craziness going on here. I can tell that God is working here. And that's what they see, not just in the service, but in us as well. That's what should be happening. That's an unknown tongue. They don't do that. But prophesying, the preaching of God's word, does that in the service. Number two is the order in procedure. The order in procedure. There's actually certain things you're to do or not do. Now, as we go into this, this is something we should realize. This is the church developing. So this is almost like a little bit of a history channel, but make sure we put it through the Christian filter here. Okay, so uh, this is, we're learning what the early church was like, and it wasn't completely like the way we do it. We've, had, we've got the way that has been uh, modified and really has been purified in some ways from a lot of stuff that was going on. All right, but back then, one of the things evidently was that a lot of things went on in the church, um, not just anything one pastor gets up and preaches or whatever. Everybody doing a bu- they'd be doing a bunch of stuff in the services, evidently. Um, and so uh, in verse 26, he says, How then is it, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation? And all you people, there's all kinds of people saying, no, 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 I got something to say. No, no, I got something to say. Oh, I've got wah, 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 wah. I've got a song. I got a song. I got a song. I'm going to sing a song. And so he's evidently there were some services going on like this. And you can imagine some people are just being sincere. But this is the church of Corinth. So you can imagine some of this was, no, 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 I've got a word. <laughs> or, or listen to my wah, 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 wah. Or listen to me sing. I've got it. Yeah. And so they were doing that in the services. And so Paul's reminding them, no, let all things be done unto edifying, building up the church, the people growing in Christ, them being challenged, encouraged. That's what's supposed to be going on. Bob Utley explains, Paul's attempting to structure the gathered worship service in such a way as not to limit the freedom of the Spirit, but to accentuate the purpose of the meeting, which is the salvation of the unsaved and the maturity of the saved. Once again, here's the message once again. We are to edify the church, build it up, and if unbelievers are there, they should hear the gospel so they have a chance to be saved. This is what's supposed to be happening. So Paul's saying, whatever you're doing in there, that needs to be the goals. Once again, verse 26, the end of it, let all things be done unto edifying. That's what's supposed to be going on in the church. All right? Verse 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at most by three, and that by course or in order, take turns, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, the person that's going to speak in tongues, and let him speak to himself and to God. In other words, the rules for speaking in tongues in the service, now we don't believe that happens anymore today here. We don't believe that. But even for that, Paul places rules. He places rules. It's supposed to be at best three. No more. It's to be done in turn. You take turns. You don't just start going crazy over there. To be interpreted by one interpreter. So in other words, you ought to know one's there, and if there's not, be quiet. Oh, but the Spirit's moving me. Be quiet. Because it's not. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the deal. All right. The question is, well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, now this is the bounce back where she showed the two uh, fists before. Aren't you holding back the spirit, Paul? Aren't you holding back the spirit? David Pryor responds, the person with the gift can choose either to use it or not to use it. For this reason, it's very misleading to use such language as ecstasy describe any of the spirit's gifts but particularly speaking in tongues. Such terminology reintroduces pagan concepts and experiences into the arena of God's operations. His spirit does not override the wills and minds of human beings. God works with us, empowers us, but he doesn't send us in these... I have seen videos. I've seen videos where suddenly they get hit like this and they've got a tambourine. And they're just going in a trance all over the stage. And everybody's hooping and hollering. How is the church edified by that? That is not a godly service. I do not believe that's the Spirit doing that. How is the church... If an unbeliever comes in, like Paul said, how do they go, oh, wow, I need this. I need to be saved. How, how do they... No. And they'll do that. I've seen these videos where they do that stuff. And it's unfortunately, they've even made memes of them and everything else. <laughs> but... But the deal is, that's a pagan-type deal. That's what was happening in pagan religions in Corinth. That's not what was supposed to be happening in the church. All right? So Paul is laying down, and even for us to learn from this, is to learn, look, the Spirit moves, but God does want order. It doesn't mean that the Spirit doesn't move and do things that people can't yell and, and be free to, to say hallelujah and all that. Of course they can. But... This chaos in the service is not spirit-filled. That is not a spirit-generated thing. Okay. Uh, 1429 says, Let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge. This also applies to those that are speaking of prophecy. There's only to be a few. It's not to be a contest. We have so many people standing up and preaching what they've got. Okay. Two or three. And let others judge, which means they judge if what they're saying is of God. All right. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his, hold his peace. This simply means that if some guy has a word, the other guy should sit down because the other guy's got the most immediate word. Now, once again, we don't believe this happens anymore. We, get, we have the completed uh, word of God, and we, we hear preaching from God's word. But this gives you a view into the early church. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. Once again, this is the point, that we learn and that we be comforted. Okay, that's the point in the edifying of the church. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What this means is, is that your spirit, this isn't talking about the Holy Spirit here, this is the spirit within, you should have self-control. This idea that people are just out of control and somehow in a service, that means the spirit is moving, is not biblical. They are in control, the spirit controls them, yes, but they have their right mind. They have their right mind, okay? And so I believe the pastor gets up here and is in his right mind every Sunday. I believe that he is. And I believe the spirit, that the Spirit's power is upon him. There's not a contradiction. He is speaking what he has studied. He is speaking what God has shown him, and the Spirit of God is in it. And that is what he's talking about here. Being out of control and all that, that's not the deal. All right, MacArthur says, God does not bypass men's minds either to reveal or to teach his word. There were no ecstatic, bizarre, trance-like experiences related to divine action or the prophet, such as occurred and occurs with demonic revelations. 
That was one clear test to distinguish the work of the Holy Spirit from the work of demons and assumes the Corinthians were having difficulty in distinguishing. And that's what they happened. They thought this was the right thing. It wasn't. Paul's saying, look, no, that's pagan stuff and even demonic. No. This is supposed to be orderly. Okay, once again, just to back up what I just said, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. In other words, no, Corinth, your church is not excluded. In all the churches, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Now, does that, does, can we have exciting services? Absolutely. Can we have people standing up and, and saying hallelujah, amen? I've been in services back when I grew up where people yelled and screamed sometimes because that's just what they did. There was a guy in the choir that did that about every Sunday, and I believe it was authentic. And he just got full of it, just, just let out just a woo, and that's what he did. That was his thing. But I believe it was authentic. You know, some, that's the, but the whole, there was no chaos, though. He was just happy. You know, as happy as some people get a UT football game. You know what I'm saying? You know, and so he was just happy. All right, but there was no confusion that was going on. Uh, number three, order in the roles, verses 35, 34 through 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches. Let me finish this, though, all right? For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. The law has to do probably with just the created order, okay, is what he's talking about. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, this is not saying that women can't speak in the church. Okay, this is not what he's talking about. In context, what he is talking about is in this realm of prophesying, getting up and giving a word to the church, speaking to the church, teaching, preaching, that type of thing. This is what Paul is talking about, and they are supposed to keep silence. As well as we read a passage before about questioning and that type of thing, people that are prophesying to decide if what they're saying is, is of God or not. Perhaps questions could be given to them. The women were not supposed to do this. And it was because of the created order. Now, does this mean that a woman can't teach in a, a class or whatever? No, they can. Absolutely. Great lady Bible teachers out there. Indeed, we have them in our church. Wonderful. Um, you know, so that's fine. But to get up here with authority over men like the pastor has is a different subject. Okay, First uh, Timothy 2.11 says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, verse 12, but I suffer or I allow not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Women are not supposed to be preaching to the men. Okay, as Pastor Josh gets up with authority and does that, a woman is not to do that in the church. Not my opinion, it's just verses that I'm reading here. Notice 1 Timothy 3, 2 says, A bishop, or this is like an elder, preacher, must then be blameless, the husband of one wife. Okay? Literally, this reads, a man of one woman is what this, now it's understood to be a wife and husband. But you can see here what, what he's saying. He's not opening up. He's not saying um, a spouse of one spouse. He's distinguishing male and female, and notice it's the male that is the bishop. Okay? Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Chuck Swindoll says, To our modern ears, Paul's words that limit women from functioning in elder or pastor roles may sound out of date or chauvinistic. 
In light of the Jewish culture from which the church originally emerged, however, we see Paul's words are actually quite liberating. In Jewish culture, women were not allowed to learn the law at all. This whole thing of allowing them to learn, no, they're supposed to stay out of that. That's not their place. That was the Jewish understanding. I don't believe it's God's understanding, but it's what had developed in Jewish culture. Okay, uh, Both teaching and learning the scriptures were a privilege of men only. Yet Paul clearly challenges this position without abandoning the principle of male headship among the leadership of the church. He says women can learn just as much as men. They can learn just as much. Um, and unfortunately, in a lot of our church society, not anything gets the women, but I think the women lots of times know more than the average male does in a lot of churches. I think they do. Um, you know, nothing gets the women on that. You go women. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, the guys need to step up a lot in a lot of churches to learn. They do indeed. Uh, but as far as leading in the church in that pastor role, I think the scriptures are pretty clear uh, that that is not a woman's position. And you can see why the logic of it, if this is her position here, but then she goes home, what is her position? Well, biblically, it's to be submitted to the husband. Well, how does that work? It's just an odd position. That's one of the things that makes this a very odd thing. And so, uh, so, he said, so Paul says in these verses, this is not to happen in the services. All right, not to happen. But once again, can women teach classes? Absolutely, please do. Um, you know, fantastic Bible knowledge. Please do that. Can they help others? And yes, absolutely. Uh, serve in many functions in the church, obviously. Uh, number four, order and submission. Now, this isn't talking about the women. This is talking about everyone here. This is in verse 36. What came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? This is sarcasm. Paul is using right here. This is sarcasm. The obvious answer is, is, is no, okay. Uh, his questioning along with what we've seen earlier gives us the likely understanding of the thought that he is responding to. And Chuck Swindoll once again says this, like many edgy, trendy, flashy churches today, the Corinthians appear to have viewed themselves as pace setters, those who flippantly threw off order, tradition, and conventions, even those established by Christ and the apostles. Oh, we're different. Oh, we're the lead church. We're on the cutting edge. Okay. Don't, don't, don't question us. We are spirit-filled. You know, this idea. Okay. Claiming to have a higher spirituality than all others and likely appealing to the authority of their own so-called prophetic gifts, the Corinthians created a do-it-yourself form of Christian worship characterized by disorder, division, and chaos. I think that he's nailed it there. That's exactly what was going on in the church at Corinth. They had their do-it-yourself uh, form of worship, and basically they would say, ah, but it's, it's the Spirit. We're just going with the Spirit. Paul saying, no, you're out of order. You're completely out of order. And he says, he gets pretty stern with them in verse 37, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Okay, you think you're spiritual? Well, here's your test. Acknowledge what I'm saying is right. That's from God. If you disagree, what you're doing is not of the Lord. If you agree with me, which means you put order to this, then what you're doing is of the Lord. So we'll get, let that be the test. And he puts it right there, verse 37. That's scripture. That's what he tells them. Here's the deal. God will not contradict himself or his word. He will not. I don't care what the Spirit is leading someone to do. God will not contradict himself or his word. This means if the Spirit is telling you to do something against God's word, it isn't the Holy Spirit. 
I don't care how it feels. I don't care what other Christian leader says it's right. You can find one to say anything you want these days. If it goes against God's word, it is not the Holy Spirit. You can guess what spirit it might be, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Okay, it says in verse 38, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. This is a tricky phrase. Um, what this is saying that is somebody is being willfully ignorant. You don't want to hear what I'm saying and recognize what I'm saying. Then we'll let you stay in that state and basically will in a way shun you. In other words, when you say I'm spiritual, we'll just treat you like, no, that guy's just, he's off. That guy's not part of our group. He just does his own stuff over there, but it's, it's not part of the real deal. That's kind of what the understanding is of this, of this, what he's saying. If you want to stay that way, that's the way you're going to be treated. You think you want to be, you're all spiritual and all that, we will treat you as, no, 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 that person, whatever they've got, it's not, it's not of us. It's not of God. And that's the way you'll be treated. So I know Paul could be pretty harsh, but this right here, this is Scripture. This is Scripture. He is very stern about this thing. He says, wherefore, brethren, covet. This means earnestly desire to prophesy. This should be the main thrust of the services that you have, is the prophesying, or for us today, the preaching. That should be the main thing you're looking for. Not some crazy experience, not somebody speaking in tongues, not people acting weird and losing their mind. It should be the preaching of the Word of God. Covet earnestly. That's what earnestly desire to prophesy. And back then, speaking in tongues was still there, so he said forbid not to speak in tongues. Now, we believe that that has passed because God's Word is completed now. But he wasn't restricting that at that time. Finally, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. This is God's Word. This isn't some Baptist, traditional, structured, you know, stiff-collared thing we're saying here. This is God's Word, and I think it's pretty plain through this passage what Paul is saying. This out-of-control stuff is not of God. It's not of God. Does the Spirit move? Yes, let the Spirit move. Let me illustrate to kind of put this together in this. Um, right now, the NBA... Uh, uh, playoffs are going on, NBA playoffs. Now, I know somebody might say, wait, I just think this whole thing is too structured and, and you need, need to let the people, just the spirit move people and be free to do. Well, let me illustrate. In the NBA, in the NBA, I guess we're in the uh, semifinals or something like that. I guess the conference finals is that where we're at. And there's amazing athletes. And they do amazing things. Different ones have different talents. They can do things in the air that I can't do on my feet. They do amazing. It's like acrobats sometimes, the things that they do. It's amazing. All free to do that within the rules. Outside the rules, it would be chaos. There'd be no game. It would just be people flopping around and throwing a leather ball around. Within the rules, we see a thing of beauty. And we see people free to exercise their talents within the rules where it all makes sense. That's the same thing as church. There is structure that God has. They're playing a game. We're not. There's structure that God means for things to go a certain way. 
Yet within there, there is the movement of the Spirit moving freely among His people, working with their individual gifts and personalities to, to do things that God loves to do all those things through them, but it's within the structure that He has provided. That's what God wants for the church. And so I hope that you've gotten this, not just tongues and prophesying out of, uh, out, out of this uh, chapter, but how that God wants things to go. And really, yeah, uh, the whole thing of uh, prophesying is a major, that is the main thing to happen in our services.